Hi, uh, welcome to the show. How about you introduce yourself? Hi, uh, my name's Corey. I'm Chief Executive Artist at Zenfry, uh, a Canadian creative arts and entertainment company, and I'm creator of Clandestine Anomaly. Okay. And um, first up, before we get started, I just want to say thank you for actually reaching out to me to actually say you wanted to do an interview. So any other indie developers also listening, uh, you know, if you're looking to get an interview on the show, just send me an email too. Um, so thanks again for reaching out and let's get started. Uh, so uh, can you talk more about the game that you are working on now? Sure. Uh, Clandestine Anomaly is a, uh, well, we come up with the term emergent reality because the, what we were calling it before was a geolocative augmented reality tower defense RPG game with inspiration from geocaching and alternate reality games. It's a bit of a mouthful. Um, and and really, it's, it's about mixing those all together. For me... Um, the, the whole idea came about uh, quite a while ago, actually, when I first held an iPhone. Um, and I wasn't making games at the time, but I just sort of felt this I, uh, urge to, well, now with this technology, or soon, um, having no conception of what this would actually take, we could tell stories that actually were as big as the world. It's sort of like the, the last canvas um, to, tell, to tell a great story. And, you know, what would be the challenges and the trade-offs to being able to tell a story that way? Um, and sort of everything developed from there out of that. Um, I figured if you're going to tell a story that takes place everywhere, it, it should be big. It should be epic. It should deserve that scope and scale of that canvas. And um, I've also always been a huge, hugely fascinated with sci-fi films and epics and loved Star Wars as a kid and uh, thought that if there's going to be any opportunity to tell something this big on an indie budget, it would be at the start of a medium, at the, like when something's being established. Because once something gets expensive, like console gaming, you know, it's very expensive to develop for the console because it's been so well established. But if you get in before things are established, generally there's a lower expectation and yeah. it's cheaper to get involved. So I went, well, maybe this is my one chance to tell an epic and uh, do it in a new way. And uh, maybe come up with something that is compelling in teach others or, or develop the process of telling stories in, in a medium that takes place everywhere. Yeah, and in the pre-interview, I think um, you mentioned that uh, this is your first game. It is my very first game, yes. So that's, that's pretty bold. I mean, it seems like you're taking a huge risk. I mean, before, I guess in terms of creative stuff, did you come from the film end or, or what? I was, yeah, go ahead. I was trained in film. Uh, and I've made some films and I won some sort of smaller awards uh, in film here in Canada. Um, and, uh, and that went fine. Um, but then I sort of expanded into, I did a gallery show. Um, and I, I, there I used digital picture frames. No one really uses digital picture frames for anything. And I said, well, I want to figure out how to tell a story on a digital picture frame. Um, something that's compelling where any, any moment in the story can be the beginning or the end. So that if you approach it, you're not sort of lost as if it was just a normal film played in a frame. And we did a, a book. And my thing has always been, um, I, must, I don't really see myself as a media-centric guy. I am a storyteller and I want to tell the story in the format that best fits the medium. Um, and, so, and I mean, easier said than done. Yeah. Um, because uh, as I learned so far developing this game, it is a totally different beast than any other type that's, of medium. You know, that's that's what I was going to mention is, um, you know, what really 
inspired you to shift from say movies to um you know to games um it was really just just this impulse to be the first and mind you i i had started this before ingress existed um yeah um to be which the is, first which is the game by google where they're doing alternate reality games too yeah yeah it, okay it's similar uh yeah. in some ways but it's different in other ways but um it's the most similar thing that exists to this point to my knowledge yeah. um it was just that whole like i could be the first to to come up with something that that works like this there's some sort of nothing out there it it, it tells stories outside and you want to make it something that fits around your life like a lot of the augmented reality or geolocative games are kind of very clunky and tacky. I want it to be something that's fluid. If you're indoors, if you're outdoors, if you have a weekend off, if you only have a little break, they could plan all those things. And it's just this huge space uh, where the technology has only been used to sort of drive itself, sort of like let's create a game that shows the technology, shows the technology. And I, I didn't feel like anybody had looked at it and said, well, let's not sort of worry about the limitations of the technology. It's not like when films came out, um, they were 3D, full color, HD with with sound, well, and I feel like that that's how people are approaching the technology. It has to have everything before it's good. And in my my opinion, it's it, it can be good if you tell it in the right package. I think what's what's actually interesting. I just want to make a couple um, comments that I've noticed with go, games go versus um, movies. Is that the thing about movies is that actually most of the technology for it is finalized. You know, to be fair, I know at, at the cutting edge, you know, like if you have like a lot of money or even I guess there are some new digital tools that are cutting edge where you're literally, you can, you can kind of, you're not, well, here's the thing, to clarify with movies, you're not inventing the technology. For a lot of games now, you still, part of the success is actually inventing new technology. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's, I think that's kind of interesting. So you're talking about storytelling, right? And, and now you're noticing that with games, it's storytelling might be one part, but it's really about systems. It's, yes. it's may not, it may not even be about storytelling. And that's what I was going to ask you is, do you feel that storytelling is important for games or do you feel that, that it's about systems? I mean, admittedly, there are games which have deep storytelling in them. But you look at a lot of these mobile games, and it isn't necessarily about the story, although that could be one dimension of it. You know, that's, that could be one part of the success, but a lot of it is just creating a system or an interactive system that uh, gets players involved you know, and yeah. engaged. For sure. And, and, I mean, I love Tetris. I, I, I love Tetris. I've been, <laughs> playing, I've been playing games that are very, very simple. Um, I've even found myself sometimes playing Angry Birds, much to my chagrin. It's kind of... Uh, yeah. You know, you want to hide the fact that you play it, and I don't necessarily like it, but I've I found myself playing it. Um, I think, I mean, it's all about what is the thing for any medium. What is the thing that that medium is best at? It, it has to be its focus. And for games, it is mechanics. It is the systems. You, you can't. You can make a great story, but if the mechanics suck, nobody cares. Um, and um, and that's not the same for every medium, but the, the, the core thing, and just like books to, to movies, there are distinctions. And if you don't focus on the strengths of those distinctions, you're, you, you risk making a bad product. So I'm, I'm aware that systems are important, um, and, and, but I, I see them as reinforcing each other. I mean, I, it's I not mean, so much as like, let's create some systems and then tack a story onto it. It's let's develop a story that uh, is synthesized with, with the mechanics to um, enrich each other. What I'm asking is, is that dangerous? Do you, because you're coming from the point of view where you've seen the power of story, right? In, in film, 
And in movies, you need to have a good story. Mm -hmm. Whereas here, it may be 10% story and 90% systems. I don't know if you feel that way. And in fact, it may not even be that. It may be 10% story, you know, 60% systems and 30% new tech or technology. And theoretically, I know it may not seem like you're using new tech, but think about it. Even the iPhone and the GPS and some of this tech, which has kind of been commoditized or accessible so that developers don't have to think about that. But that's kind of what you're using to tell the story and, and, and to make the game fun. Definitely. And we are, we are making new tech actually as well. Like we, we're using existing tech, but we've had to, to make it as accurate as it is and, and um, to do some of the things we want to do. We have had to develop our own servers and technology. I, I can't explain in much detail what those yeah. do. I have other people who sort of do it, but I understand on a high level what they do. Um, I yeah, mean, I, just mentioned I, I don't know that honestly, it's... I didn't realize how literally successful games have to have to almost do invention at this point, maybe because the medium is still too early or mm -hmm. it's still emerging. But, um, but yeah, finish what you're going to say. That's it. I mean, uh, th that's part of the fun of it for me. I, I like, I like seeing the technology. I've actually going into games has gotten me more involved into technology, even outside this project where now I sort of do research grants with the university of Manitoba here that is strictly, you know, fun exploratory things to do with like empathy and robotics, and um, like I've always been a tech nerd. I've just never been the type of person with the intelligence, the cognitive ability to be to be one of these guys who can actually create and engineer and build things. Um, I mean, I remember talking to my kindergarten teacher like years ago, like maybe when I was in early high school, and she's like, "Are you going into the sciences?" And I'm like, "No, I'm terrible at mathematics and things like that." Um, but it's kind of always been there. Yeah. Um, and I guess it's just, uh, I mean, I don't see film as going away. I, I still am making films, but I, I do see the, the, the technology, the fact that you can be an innovator and a, crea and like a creative yeah. at the same time, it, to me, is, is very, very rewarding. I think um, I also want to mention you're talking about getting early into a field or a genre because it becomes a lot easier. It, I mean, it allows for indies to get into the field more yes. easily versus like, you know, if Angry Birds is released today compared to the other games, it may not have gotten the foothold, but since it was there early on and That's they obviously right. innovated on the business model and some of these other things, they, you know, they made the most of it. I think in films though, I don't know if you've heard of the movie Paranormal, mm -hmm. but that's, I guess they kind of did the same thing where they did kind of an indie film, but it really was huge, right? You I can... Mean, you can still hit it big with indies and novel ideas, and yeah. uh, I mean we see that with Braid and things like that. Like there's still there's not not at the level of of paranormal. <laughs> no, not at the level of paranormal or Blair Witch Project. Yeah, exactly. For that matter. Blair Witch. That's what I was going to um, say. No, I mean uh, fil films sort of boom in and out of an acceptability towards indies, um, and right now we're sort of in the the pinnacle of like it must be an established IP if you want any money um, in films. But um, it, it's not it's not necessarily a rule, but I and there is challenges too to going in early, like with augmented reality or and the stuff that we're doing. There's a lot of like people who sort of you have to put it in their hands to get them to understand what you're doing because they just hear augmented reality and geolocative. And I actually had a guy ask me before I showed him the demo, like, so you've taken two mediums that have proven terrible. I know and you're that's... sticking them together. What are you thinking? And fortunately, he was somebody who was there in person, and I was able to put it in their hands and then they got it, but it's, it's very, we found it extremely challenging to express 
um, why the that why these two things are more valuable together. Well, um, and so those are challenges. Like, like there's challenges of being first in, but if it works out, if you're first in and it works out, um, then there's a lot to capitalize on in the Angry Birds sense or. You know, Star Wars, the old Star Wars movies being one of the first ones to really use motion control cameras and things like yeah. that. No, that's a good point. Even Star Wars, if people think about it, they're like, well, it was just a story, but they did a lot of innovations in the film it, itself. It was a hugely technologically innovative film. Yeah. And though it had studio support, I mean, it was very low budget for yeah. its time. But um, George Lucas had some had some huge technical innovations that really made... That, that could compel people to want to watch it, even though people were skeptical of the idea at first. That's right. Oh, oh man, it, 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 he had a heck of a time getting that thing moving and off the ground and getting studios and things to support it, but uh, somehow he mixed, <laughs> yeah, he mixed story and, and technology and put it into an established medium, and it did pay off for him. And uh, I'm not necessarily trying to model myself after him, but there is some well, it's similarities. Well, it's from that. Because I was just talking about how invention was a huge part of games, but you know I didn't realize. I mean, I knew that obviously um, there was innovation with some of these very popular movies, but I didn't think of it in terms of you know what they actually had to do invention too. Well, and, I mean, what, when film took off was and like I mean it used to be a technological invention. Right now, you yeah. see AR mostly being used for advertising. Uh, and little gimmicky things. That's how film started. It started being shown in circuses and carnivals of, look, it, it's a train and it's in video. And it yeah. was this. And it wasn't until somebody came along and, and, and his name was D.W. Griffith and started cutting it together and saying, hey, guys, we can tell a story here that it actually became a platform for storytelling. Yeah. And, and, then, and then there was um, finally audio and all these other things. So, so exactly. I guess I, I'm just looking at it as, you know, what is the formula that indie developers or even, you know, indie people and in whatever creative domain can actually use to, to win? Not just come up with an idea that, oh, it was interesting, and, but it never really took off, right? Like mm -hmm. if, if George Lucas made something that was just like Star Wars, but it never took off, well, no one, you know, like it wouldn't have the same, it wouldn't be worth studying necessarily for a lot of people. Yeah. I mean, in terms of what, what was, um, or identifying the success characteristics. So, so I think it's very easy to find the successes. It's very hard to find the things that you would think would be successes, but didn't work out because you never hear yeah. about it. Well, I mean, do you have any, any examples of that? I mean, in film, because I think what's interesting in this interview that we could cover is, you know, where, what are the parallels between, as you see film and what you see with, um, with the games? Um, Parallels. I'm. I mean, I don't. I don't know. Beyond beyond the the thing that connects them together, I would say is story. Um, myself, but I mean, like films don't need to exist with stories either. Um, I mean, uh, I in the city I live in, there's a huge experimental uh, vein in film where there's literally no plot or anything, and they can still be great, amazing pieces of film. Um, I mean. I have a very hard time sort of, it's sort of like asking like what's art, like it, it's very hard unless you look at it in yeah. a very technical level or a user experience level, what the distinctions or the parallels are. Um, but I mean, for me, it's always just been about well, like what are the, the advantages and differences like in, in games, the player has agency and that is super important. Yeah. Um, and um in my game, I'm trying to bring the player agency to the next level by getting rid of the whole idea of the avatar. You're not an avatar. You're actually you. 
And it's sort of it's sort of saying, well, in film, you follow characters that you you're supposed to empathize and sympathize with, and, yeah. and and you sort of forget about yourself and sink into this world. In games, you're making the decisions, but can we make it so that that world sinks into your world? Can we sort of do the inverse of film, where film it's you watch, and if it's a good film, you everything disappears, and you're in this you're in this fantasy. Can we do it with technology and with gaming the other way around, and make it so that the game world and the story world sinks around you. And that's sort of the, uh, I guess it's not parallel, it's more uh, intersecting with film. Yeah. And you mentioned that um, you, were, you were using buzzwords like augmented reality and geolocation, and that turns people off. So are you going to coin a new phrase or, or not even use those as you describe this game? Well, because um, I've, I've, I mean, at least as a, as a developer, you know, I, I interview developers at conferences, and I've heard that term for a long time, right? Augmented reality gaming, how it's yes. going to be huge. No one has really cracked it from what I can tell. I mean, maybe Ingress is doing well because Google recently hired a chief uh, game designer or something. But for the most part, it's just been kind of more of a novelty. Yeah, and um, so far my Kickstarter numbers wouldn't prove that we've necessarily successfully done it any better. But um, our our hard our hardest challenge so far has even been getting people to even look at the page. Like our our number of we have more dollars than we have hits on the page yeah. at this point. And I don't know if we've cracked it. Um, but I mean, the problem for me with simply saying we're making an augmented reality game is one, the stigma, but is yeah. two, it's not very descriptive. Like there's augmented reality, like it can mean all different stuff. Are you using markers? Are you not using markers? Um, is it played on a tabletop? Is it, um, is it, there's what I call overlay. A lot of people call augmented reality, but overlay games where really it doesn't care anything about the environment. It's just, it doesn't have a background and it sort of floats relative to your camera. Um, so saying AR, it doesn't, it's it, it sort of become too generalized. And we've taken flack from some people for using a different term called emergent reality games. And, um, and they're like, oh, that's too close to ARG and too close to... And I'm like, well, I mean, I'm sorry. I don't have millions of marketing dollars to find the well, exact right about, term. Why not talk to the average player and see what resonates with them? Because mm-hmm. I don't even think they care about augmented reality or this or that. They might hear of tower, you know, desktop tower defense. They're familiar yeah. with it through maybe Plants vs. Zombies or something else. Um, and they may even be more appealing to them, where they don't even understand that it's augmented reality or anything else, but it's just a tower defense game that it, yeah. obviously has different mechanics than what they're used to in terms of you know casual play or something else. I don't know I if mean, you looked at it from that point of view. I mean, I, I don't even... It's not p- me particularly who's like, we have to use any particular term. Um I think I see mediums as very nebulous, especially in the digital age. It's sort yeah. of like when you can put a video game inside of a book because it's digital, it's kind of like what what is what anymore. We sort of just have these vague terms to pick out where we're sitting in the spectrum of media. Um, but similarly, it's if I just called it a tower defense game, <laughs> is that going to be descriptive enough? I mean, yeah. are people going to on the app store go, oh, a tower defense game, download it, and then... When it expects something different of them, are how are they going to react? The, the problem. Th- this is the this is the inverse of the. If you're the first to to succeed, you can sort of do great things on a, on a lower budget. The inverse is when you're the first to do it. We don't have these answers, and nobody else does. Yeah. And so we're we're just do, kind of doing the best we we best we can, and we have done some sort of market studies and research studies, but again on an indie budget. So. 
let's let's talk about marketing then. Um, sure. You know, you're you mentioned a Kickstarter campaign. Can you talk more about that? And um, you know, why do you decide to go with Kickstarter? How are you actually going to get the word out? You know, obviously this interview might be one part, but how are you going to get the word out? And then finally, it seems like you're trying to. I mean. The one thing about games versus movies that is very different is that you can't release a piece of garbage movie the first time and then the next week iterate on it and then tell people to come back and watch it, you know, unless well, it's internal. Director's cuts. There have been some examples. <laughs> like, wait, wait, uh, like, like the movie. Uh, like, uh, look, like, I don't know if you've heard of a game called, well, you may have heard of Minecraft, but there's Survival Craft. So mm-hmm. there's another game like Minecraft called Survival Craft. I've seen this game. It's on, uh, it's on Android. Now they just put it on iPhone. At first, it was just, quote, a Minecraft clone. They kept on iterating, iterating, like doing constant, constant updates until now. It's almost, in terms of release on the mobile, uh, mobile part or on these mobile app stores, it's catching up to Minecraft. Mm-hmm. And this concept of just constantly iterating on the concept maybe over the course of a year, and people will just stand by it, you know, deal with the bugs one week and then work with the benefits or the fixes the next week and stuff like that. It's something very different that's native to digital, but not necessarily um, native to film. No, no, and it, I mean, it, it's slowly creeping in as, like I said, with director's cuts or a TV series, as some of the smarter TV series uh, look more to the internet for advice on what fans like. Oh, yeah. They are yeah. able to adjust. But gaming, it really came out of gaming uh, and technology first, I think partly because anytime anybody ever released anything, pretty much ever in the history of games. No, no, I'm being a little facetious, but there's always been something that needed patched or updated. Yeah. And as soon as they had access to do that, you always got it. So it's sort of like a natural part of the cycle. The other thing is gamers are more vocal, not necessarily in their opinions, but in their, like, they will demand changes because they know that they can get them. Um, so I think that those two things, the natural... Like, we released a bug, and since it's digital, we can fix it, along with the audience going, hey... You can fix this. Um, ha- has made that sort of a, a really large part of the game culture, my, my which I con- think is a great way. My concern, though, is that at least with the game you're working on now, it seems like you're trying to perfect it before you release it. And is that going to be dangerous? Because you are in a medium where it's it's you're really experimenting. You're seeing what's going to work and what's not, mm-hmm. and you don't know. There could be one mechanic that really needs to go away, and then some, and then that feedback might give you ideas for new mechanics that really make it work. And I want to give you another example of actually. I don't know if you if you went to the game developers conference a couple of years ago, but there was a talk by this one company where they did like geolocation based game. Now they're an indie company. I forgot the exact name, um, but uh, I'll send you an article or or something after this. Sure. Um, my but, first GDC ever was this year as well. So okay, I didn't okay. go to this one, but I'm interested to hear. Yeah, and so what happened with, with this game is that they um, they released on Android or something, and on and eventually on iPhone or, or something like that. And they were in like a geolocation based game, and initially they had to have people walking around and traveling and whatever else, but it, it didn't work. And then what they did is they actually changed it a little so that you could travel just from the interface. So you could say like you could click on a button, and say okay, I'm going to go to this location. And it would just jump you there automatically. You don't have to travel there based on your GPS. Mm-hmm. And that made a huge difference. And that game now is scheduled to make a few million, at least last year. That's what they were saying. They were making like 200,000 a month. They had four, like 14,000 daily active users. So it was pretty amazing that they were making that much. 
and 90% of their revenue was on Android. So, but that happened, or they were able to discover that, and that happened like two or three years after they released it, by the way. So it wasn't like all of a sudden it just took off, but they, they released it, they got feedback, they kept on iterating and stuff like that, and they finally figured out ways to make it work. Um, well, and well, so that's, that's my concern is that by perfecting everything, do you add more risk to the project? Well, uh, there, there's sort of two approaches. One is, I mean, especially when you talk about uh, like that example there of, of people don't necessarily want to move. That's something that we already are trying to build in through a probe companion character that you have. It's a, it's, it can sort of go remotely where you cannot go. Um, the, I don't necessarily... Uh, want it perfected, but I want to get as close to what the original vision I had was as possible so that at least when we go out there and we do start making changes, we're not making changes based off of um, something that's been half-baked. I, I sort of, there's a lot of details that we have thought through that we want to try out. Now, we're trying to mitigate against it, so we do want to give a polished experience. We kind of see it as trying to push a console-like experience onto the phone. Um, it won't be as big as a real console experience, but sort of much closer than most iPhone games. But we're also doing it episodically so that uh, each subsequent episode we can take that feedback and improve it so that by the time we get to the end of the story, we do have a completely, a truly perfected game because if it's just my conception of it and it fails to work, or my team's conception, uh, then it really wasn't perfect. It was just... Um, you know, if, if players don't like it, it's not a perfect experience. Um, so, I mean, we're trying to mitigate it against it, but um, yeah, but yeah, I guess we, I don't have a clear answer because I am trying to have it as, as, as polished as an experience as, as we can possibly get to, knowing that we'll never hit that. But I am open to and, and building our business plan around um, incremental changes based on feedback. So, I mean... By the time episode two comes out, it should be better than the first episode. It should be better than the second episode. And then the original question uh, was marketing. Yeah. I mean, uh, Kickstarter is sort of our very first time uh, mentioning it to the public. And there's a couple things we did that we knew were probably weren't traditional. One, we we don't have any brand recognition or track record at all. Um, some people on my team do, but I, my company or me certainly don't. And we didn't have... Um, yeah, those are basically, like, we don't establish fan base, and we didn't talk about the game ever before, so we're really going from zero to 30. Um, we're, we're doing press releases, both locally, trying to do local story and trying to get the game industry, and um, it is honestly um, been more difficult than I thought it would be, just because of the trepidation of there's not really been any successful mobile Kickstarters. There's not, I mean, um, and and the whole, like, AR, ge geolocative, it's... We've actually redone our website's layout on our Kickstarter a couple of times because it, it's, it's very hard for us to know from being in so deep in the game what the most important thing people need to see first is to yeah. understand why our game is different. Because if you just read, any seasoned gamer who just reads Geolocative AR, it's probably going to groan. So it's about getting them to click the video, in my opinion, which um, anytime I've, I've, any feedback I've had on the video, people are impressed by it, but then the gamers have tons of questions, which we do have answers to, but it's which questions do we answer first? You know, like the, do I have to go outside? Do I have to do this? Um, you know, and we're trying to have it all covered. We're trying to have it so that, you know, the, there's enough control over the experience that you don't end up in a ghetto. 
uh, and yeah. just trying to collect some little bots, right? Like these are all things that you don't have to think about in a traditional game that you do have to think about in in AR. And we do have a lot of answers for them, but um, we're going. You know, you come against this uh, this tendency or this this conception of like what is this and and this doesn't you know it doesn't sound good on the tongue there hasn't been a good example yet and ingress has done a lot to um open up the the idea but um it's not like ingress is um angry birds successful yeah um so with your kickstarter then um can you talk about uh how much you're trying to raise in the numbers then sure we're tr- we're trying to raise fifty thousand uh, dollars. We really do see that as a—that's um, our goal to sort of polish and finish up the prototype to, uh, and allow that to raise more money. Um, It's—we've uh, sort of—we've had some development funding, and now we're looking to sort of just polish and finish up what we've done at, at fifty thousand dollars. Now we could release worst case scenario. We we will release whatever we've created in in a capacity that people will enjoy. Um, even if it's just other developers, um, if we can't sort of propel forward. But uh, Kickstarter is is one piece of the puzzle to get us into production. And it will both launch us into production. It'll also help, you know, interviews like this or, or any questions we have. It's also, a, you know, a great um, test of both, do we need a publisher? We When we went to GDC, uh, we did have um, what I would consider a, a reasonable amount of publisher interest uh, in our game. Um, and that's that's great. I'm not an anti-publisher guy, but you know, if if we could go out to Kickstarter and raise, you know, lots of money all on our own, you don't really need a publisher. But if you go on to Kickstarter and you get a thud, and nobody even hears or understands what it is, then you go, well, we maybe do need somebody who can help us in that regard. And you also hear what users want. Um, there's a lot of things in the background of people wanting a, wanting it on Vita, um, which. I have considered putting it on a Vita, but is is it going to be more successful on a Vita than mobile? It's hard to say because the other thing we're coming against is trying to make a more mid-core slash hardcore game on mobile um, with this experience. And so there's a sort of, there's not a lot of games like that also, but that might be something that fits better on the Vita. But all this stuff, this interview, every question you throw at me, every question we get on our Kickstarter, even if the Kickstarter is not successful, will help us improve and refine the game and, and learn what we're doing wrong because our whole team is very passionate and greatly believes in the idea of what we're trying to do, of creating an experience that takes place everywhere. Um, but we also know we don't have all the answers. If Kickstarter is successful, it'll directly help us make a better game. It'll, it'll get us into production quicker. It'll get the game out to market quicker. Um, and if it's a failure, we still believe that we can get the game out. It might not be as grand of a game, and we may have to give up some creative control, um, I'm not sure. I'm not saying that that's going to happen. I'm pretty adamant about keeping my creative control. Um, but we still think it, it can get out there. It just won't be as fast. It might not be as grand. It might not be as pure from a creative standpoint. Um, but it will. But that failure will still give us a lot of information, and we're learning a lot about how to market. And we're finally starting to get some interest. Will it be you know quick enough? Will we have got it soon enough that it will help us on the Kickstarter? I don't know, but we still, it's hard to look at it. You see some Kickstarters, they blow up in three days, but really you can still have that three days blow up be the last three days. So we're, we're going to push as hard as we can right till the end. And if people go to the Kickstarter uh, site, what do they type in to find your? Clandestine Anomaly. 
Okay. Which um, is, uh, I suppose we could have come up with an easier spelling, spellable word, but. And, okay, well, that's good. So this will be the first half of the interview. Um, so for the audience out there, we're going to break this up into two different interviews. So this will be the first part. And also, by the way, I did find out the name of the company that uh, made that other um, geolocation-based game that was doing well on Android. It's called Purblue. Okay. And um, I think you can just search for that and, and you'll find the game that they worked on. But I'll um, definitely so, check it out. Yeah. And so, um, so the next interview, we'll just cover more about the marketing and uh, when you expect to deploy the game. And um, I guess things that you've learned jumping, more things that you've learned jumping from the film medium to, to the game medium. Sure. So um, uh, thanks again for everyone listening and uh, talk to you soon. Take care.